Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. I'm your host this week, Hugh Crawford, one-third of the Kickers of Elves. Um, this week, we will be revisiting an episode called Cardassians, which is episode five of season two, I believe. So stick around after the episode where I will be going over some background information and just uh, taking a, a look back in general. All right. Enjoy the show. Self-hating tribalism, racial dysphoria. Oh yeah, the depressed economy of war orphans in post-occupation territories. Oh yeah, biting I guess. There is definitely some biting in this. Oh yeah, it's time for the Rules of Acquisition. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the best show with alien father debates and whatnot going on. (laughs) With transracialism. Yep, it's it's the best at that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And also Hugh Crawford. Hello, gentlemen. And hopefully, ladies. And I am Wade Bowen. Yeah, this week we're talking about the fifth episode of season two, aptly named Cardassians. And the IMDb description is as follows. Political heat rises on the station as Bajorans enter the station with orphaned Cardassians they have adopted. And that is one of the shortest IMDb descriptions we've had. <laughs> yeah. For an episode that covers a ton of ground. Yeah. And it, it says they entered the station with Cardassians, plural, that they've adopted? Yes. Yes. Because that's just wrong. That is wrong. They only adopted one Cardassian. Right. Mm-hmm. IMDb, I'm, I'm shaking my head at you. So, not to bury the lead on this, because right off the bat, we see Garrick, which we haven't seen since season one, like episode, what, four? Or two. Is it what, three? No, was that two or three? We didn't know how to count it. Yeah, that was the last meaningful appearance. Does he not have a cameo at any point in season? Nope. Nope. Not even in the finale? No. I think what ended up happening is that they didn't... It's a shame. Yeah. From what I read is that they had him on for that one episode and then Andrew Robinson himself was so loved by the actors. I think he's the godfather to Nana Visitor and Alexander Siddig's son, child or whatever. That makes sense. And so I I think he was like so loved amongst the cast and the crew that they forced the writers to use Garrick again. Good on them because, yeah. Yes, yes. Because, I mean, mean, he's definitely a fan favorite throughout the entire series. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the three best characters on this show, and they're all heavily featured in this episode, which is Commander Sisko, Gul Dukat, and Garrett, you get those all in this episode. Yeah, and they really are the best characters. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're all heavily in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I think that the cast, from my understanding, the cast kind of forced Garrick onto the script. Oh, hey, man. Which, good on them. Yeah, yeah. Good job. I mean, yes. It, it takes a village to make a show as good as what Deep Space Nine eventually become. And Andrew Robinson actually went to the same acting school as Alexander Siddiq. I saw that somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, they're both AMDA uh, in London. Before. Oh, really? But he's yep. American, right? Yeah, they're both yeah. Well, Andrew Robinson's American. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the killer from uh, Dirty Harry, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And he actually wrote the book on Garrick. He wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, what's it called? Oh, I sent it to you guys in a text. What was it called? I can't remember. I mean, that book's famous, so. The Flowers of... I don't know. Someone on the internet will remember yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw it in a used bookstore. Didn't buy it, but it turns out it's like 80 bucks. Yeah, oh, man. I was going to text you the other day, man. I hope you p- go back and pick it up, because seriously. I was in Half Price Books last week, and I didn't look at for it i will look for it but i assume it's gone it was on the clearance rack yeah well because that is actually a find among the ps9 fans if anybody wants to send it to us we can give you our address yeah oh yeah because he was just apparently that started with this isn't even about the episode anymore Mm -hmm. but he was just writing journal stuff for conventions because he was like uh they want me to do an appearance i might as well do something so he was writing these journal entries as Garrick, and then he was at a convention. So I was like, "Dude, you should make that a whole book." And he's like, "Oh, okay." And then he did. Oh wow! Star Trek's a funny thing. Yeah, it really, it really is. <laughs> yes. Should we try to unpack this episode? Oh my, because there's quite a bit. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, back to the episode. Yeah, there's a lot to going on. First thing, we have some Bajoran. Are they farmers? Come on the station, and they have adopted <laughs> a Cardassian child, which strangely catches the eye of Garrick. And there's some weird tension between. The child and Garrick, but it just turns out because it, they're you know they're they're both the only Cardassians on the station, and there's nothing nothing more weirder than that. 
Right. But yeah, he sees another Cardassian kid. He goes up and then he pulls the creepies. Well, he's not even, he's just Garrick. He's being Garrick. And then the kid goes full stranger danger on him and bites him. Yes. I mean, okay, okay. So I'm going to unpack this just in general about Garrick. And I know we talked about it in episode two of last season. But and I think that they keep this going and probably heighten it a little bit more. But we, we all pick up on tones of homoeroticism with Garrick's relationship with Bashir, right? And just in general, Garrick, even though we know that the, the story kind of goes in different ways, that there is sort of like a, I don't want to say a, stere- a stereotypical homos- homosexualness to Garrick. Do we all pick up? I felt like it was more overt in that last episode, past prologue that he was in, because he's like giving him massages and stuff. And this one, yeah. it's all... He shows up in his bedroom in the middle of the night. Well, that's true. Yeah, you got a point. <laughs> that, I felt like the writers were trying to inject a little gay panic into that scene. Maybe a little bit. Oh, I thought they were just trying to show his spy, like what kind of... Taylor can get into somebody's room unheard of in the middle of the night. I think they're just trying to tell that, you know, telegraph that he's, that's true. he's got more skills than meets the eye. Yeah, that's what I took. I don't think there was necessarily any gay panic in, the, in that particular. But the, to an extent, you could say this is also talking about this as a Julian episode, because mm-hmm. we've talked in this whole podcast a lot about what are they doing with Julian? Yeah. And he's kind of a babe in the woods. He's like the innocent. He's, he's like, what? I don't understand. And the whole Garrick Julian sheer dynamic is actually when he finally starts to work as a character because it's almost a seduction really that's i keep going back to that like they started off again with this scene with them having their they say what it is but it's not rock the chinos but yeah they they have a and i think in this scene and i think it's supposed to show as a growth in julian as a character but you see a little bit more of a give and take right where julian's giving a little bit more back it's an education though it's not like a total sexual seduction it's like he's no I'm not saying sexual, but... And from, like, a spy craft, he's recruiting an asset, is what he's there's doing. There's flirtation to it. Yeah, that's kind of the whole kind of classic spy dynamic, anyway. That is true. The, that is true. You know, the seduction of an asset. And I'm not saying that Garrick is playing it as a flaming character. I'm yeah. not saying that, but I do think that there is a... It would be great if it were, like, a homosexual seduction, because Star Trek is classically afraid to touch that territory, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And they're not doing it here. I mean, they were still making shows of the 80s and 90s i mean yeah yeah well exactly i mean i have a feeling that the 2017 brian fuller star trek i assume they'll correct that yeah but i think yeah they were still a product of their time i mean i think that whenever i'm watching this i feel like there's a familiar trope with julian as the the doctor and it felt familiar and i kept on going over it my brain over and over and i think it's he's a dr watson type character Mm -hmm. see you need somebody who needs to have their eyes opened to something but you have to have a reason for them to be along on the journey julian is not smart enough to connect all these dots on his own yeah but he being a doctor you know that he is capable like the capacity is there and so and if garrick was alone you wouldn't have any need to say these things out loud to us yeah so and i feel like that's why you pick julian for this particular adventure Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i feel it really wouldn't work or it would lag i don't know if it was another character oh no well well, garrick would have no redeemable qualities he would just seem like such a duplicitous lying character right if he didn't have anyone to you couldn't have him trying to pull the shit with kira for instance she'd be like oh you're a cardassian and that would actually be more interesting because (laughs) you'd have a bajoran and a cardassian with this this you know i guess but i mean you're right they wouldn't get anything done. Yeah. 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 They'd be fine. You know, O'Brien's got his family life. Yeah. That's the thing. It finally gives you something to do with Julian because he's a wasted character up until this point. Almost the only characterization that Julian has that's consistent throughout all the episodes is that he is to some degree intellectually curious. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that makes him the only one that's really, he's the only one that really fits into the role as a foil to Garrett. Yeah, because even from the opening scene, they're having their little game of questions kind of thing. Oh, mm-hmm. so you like you deal with Bajorans because they open up to you as a tailor so you can get information. Huh? Huh? Nudge, nudge. And Garrick's like, I see what you're doing. Whatever. I am no more a spot. I mean, there's little things like that. I thought that they were giving Bashir to push back on mm-hmm. that. I like that. There's, you know, where Garrick said, I'm no more a spy than, than you are. A, and he, he kind of cleverly says, what, a doctor? <laughs> right. That's sort of a clever play. And I think that it's showing that Garrick and Julian aren't, 
not on even ground, but are on more even ground. Starting this season, this episode off than they were in A Man Alone or whatever episode it was last right. season. Because they are actually friends, but there's a playful back and forth between them. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Garrick is a man of lies. He doesn't tell the truth. Yeah. Because he doesn't believe in it, he says at the very end. Which I, I love that they give this great, the, the whole show, epi- this whole show, which goes in so many interesting places. Yeah, yeah. It finally lands on uh, an homage to practical truth. Yeah, yeah. Or postmodernist truth. <laughs> so again, yeah, I've got more to say about that when we get there too. Well, but, yeah, but like it's our whole theme of Deep Space Nine is sort of a a microcosm of practicality and American pragmatism. Pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think that that Garrick is definitely part and parcel with. Oh yeah, with Cisco in that. And I've made complaints before about how the show is not willing to trust the audience with complicated things and stuff. Yes, mm-hmm. but this yeah. this episode is pretty convoluted. There's a lot of stuff going on you know that's one of the things i general statement about this episode uh, two things first off i think probably and i've been sort of toying with this the last few episodes i think all throughout and it served us well throughout going through season one which was asking is this a good episode or a bad episode yeah, yeah like i think almost i feel comfortable retiring that oh from here on we're in different territory yeah for this yeah, episode yeah, like, especially i yeah. definitely agree we're going to have stinkers, probably, but we can. The status quo is actually not this is shitty. Episode. Yeah, like I felt like the choices in the first season were so binary mm-hmm. that when we got to a captive pursuit or battle lines, which was a borderline y, you know, good and bad kind of episode, either one of those, we were kind of like, yes, yes, this is. This justifies a podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We had to grab one when we could. Like now, I feel like, no, we're just in territory where we're going to unpack big ideas. And I think that this show, it was a test. This show was like, like, I didn't feel nervous. Well, did Wade, did Wade and Hugh like this show? Because mm-hmm. there's too much to talk about on whether we can like it or not like it. But it's it's, it's asking questions. It rises to the level of, of critical pursuit. You know, and and so like that's the first comment I have. The second one is this show has so much complicated, interesting shit packed into it and it moves so fast. Mm -hmm. I was almost in awe of it in the middle where it takes a break to do. O'Brien does guess who's coming to dinner in the middle of the episode. Oh, yeah. And he's playing just like the quiet Irish dad. Well, that's racist, but confronting his own racism. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that was good stuff. uh, Yeah, no, I was like in the middle of this episode about this greater shit and much more complicated shit, but they take the time to push it in this area. Yeah, yeah. This show, I don't know if no one told them not to do it or, and I know that that's wrong, and I'm going to get to that later in James Nolan's Ira Bear is a Hack segment. <laughs> uh, but, like, I know that someone did push against it, specifically Ira Bear. But, the, they, <laughs> okay. the, so they were fighting against someone telling them, don't put this much shit into it. But what the fuck? No, they were so sure that they were on good ground to put this episode off. All of this stuff that's addressing racism and parentage and, I mean, are the Cardassians... Cultural worthy? identity. Yeah. Cultural identity and are the Cardassians worthy of hatred by parent, you know, generational hatred. It's all kinds of interesting shit that I felt like that they did it with such balls that they were almost dumb to the idea that they were doing so much. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of the genius of youth where you don't realize all the rules you're breaking. Oh, uh, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, like, I, it was such an interesting show for that regard that I, I was in awe of it. Even, I don't think it was perfect, but it was yeah, it was admirable. <laughs> uh, this, yeah, I, I really, well. Well, I don't, the, the cracks aren't really so obvious. No, no, but, yeah. But in fact, I only gave it one watch because I, you know, I, this is one that I, I might have seen more just in casual watching. Yeah. So I really didn't feel the, the need to give it a second pass. If you're going to do a drive-by of Deep Space Nine, I feel like everyone's going to stop at this episode. You kind of need to. Yeah. It gives you a good idea. I mean, it's called Cardassian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, I had to watch it a few times just because there's so much packed into it. I watched mm-hmm. it once, like, oh, this is good. It's like, wait a minute. I need to be able to take my notes to know exactly, to take all the pieces apart. Collect your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So so we haven't even, he just got bit by the kid, Stranger Danger. Yeah. Cardassian bites him. <laughs> and then Julian just shows up to the ops and he's like, sorry, I'm late. This kid bit, you know, Garrick. Garrick. And then they're like, there's another Cardassian on board. And Noda's like, what? I didn't know about this. And then all of a sudden there's a call from Goldicott, who's already been informed. Just a bit of like plot cleanup here. Do we believe that we know that Goldicott wasn't called by Garrick? So Goldicott was probably called by the the butt face guy. Yeah. 
yeah. the guy whose place was was composed of two crab butts, yeah. like and like whatever the fuck was on the top of his head, which was gross and made me want to throw up. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. He had okay. the baboon ass on his face, <laughs> yes. and then like little something else on the top of his skull. Well, I mean, let's stop for one second and give them credit for having a memorable character for that, because up until here they just give somebody some silly putty on their nose, forehead, give them a mullet or a Lisa Frank sticker on their forehead. <laughs> right. Yeah. They had more money. Seconds. At least they, because for storytelling purposes, that particular character had to be memorable. Yes. Or else you would have just forgot what? Yeah, because yeah, there's so much unsaid shit going on with this character. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point that he stands out so you notice him. He has to. Yeah. Yes. And there's that one scene where they spend all their makeup budget. Well, no, they had a good makeup budget because they had all these Cardassians. Yeah, this is a pretty makeup-heavy episode now that I think of Because he's at the Dabo table. Yeah. The skull-faced Dabo girl with, with tits. Yes. Which I don't think is Jamie Lee Curtis's sister in this one. No. Because <laughs> she's got a lot heavier makeup on that you can't see what her face has. Well, skull like. face. <laughs> and then the other lady that's flirting with the baboon butt face guy is also got really heavy makeup on mm-hmm. but you know it's, it works i'm glad that they went through the trouble yeah well and that and you remember because you have to kind of like realize like what set this plot in motion oh yeah and he's he, he, and we'll get back to that we'll get to that later but like you have to remember this guy this is why like peter laurie got jobs in the 1930s right. mm-hmm. you can have peter laurie in a scene your first act and everybody's gonna remember him in the fourth and the third act. well you're just proud that the director of this episode realized that they're working in a visual movie. <laughs> yeah yeah yes. Like, oh, let's make this guy stand out. Mm-hmm. And he was a witness to the bite attack yeah. or whatever at the kid. And then he says he knew the dad. The adopted father was working with this crab-faced baboon butt man who was uh, looking for work, he said. A headhunter for Bajoran farmers? I don't know. Something, yeah. He's like, oh, he was looking for work and I helped him out. Yeah. It's a shame what they did to That's that kid. We- that was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And while he was talking to Bashir about helping the guy out, he also basically said that the guy has been abusing his adopted Cardassian son. Rugal. Yes, Rugal. Yeah. Who's our main, who's the focus of the story. Yeah, yeah. And that this kid has been being, was adopted by Bajorans and is being abused by them as a retribution for... Against the Cardassian occupation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the atrocities of the Cardassians. So that's prompts. Yeah, Julian as a, you know, public administrator has to report that, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes back to Cisco and says, oh, this guy says... And Julian totally buys it. He's like, oh, man, that's that's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, and he refers to it before. It's like he doesn't ever question it because the guy tells him. Yeah. So that immediately prompts the biggest question of all, which Cisco needs to get involved in. And Cisco is going to have to investigate these abuse claims because he is going to, apparently he has the jurisdiction to take the kid away from a Bajoran parent, which is kind of... Well, it's like, it's a criminal <laughs> proceeding at this point, because he's... Yeah, but he can't report that. He's got, I mean, I understand if he would have to report that to the magistrate at Bajor. Right, and it's true, and then the, the father actually asked Cisco, oh, is that Cardassian pressing charges? And it's like, well, no, but we have these accusations by this guy that you're being abused. It, essentially, Goldicott is pushing all of this for Right. Who doesn't have any right to know that this even happened on the ship. But he does because of baboon crap, man. Right. Well, and once he hears about that, there's a the fact that there's a Cardassian involved and it gets back. Mm. And then even, and I will say, like, Kira doesn't do a lot in this episode. She just kind of offhand, oh, he must be one of the orphans. She's just there for like, oh yeah, this the Bajorans know about this. I kind of liked, to be honest with you, there was so much going on. There were so many moving parts. There was so much going on. I kind of liked not having, having an issue, an episode about Bajor and the Cardassians without not speaking towards my critiques towards Nana Visitor, I just, without having to deal with the Cura emotional vortex. Right, right, yeah. Like, it was nice. First I was gonna think, man, maybe they should have, but it's like, no, she actually, she provides a good story based, oh yeah, that's a thing. And she just yeah. offhanded mentions it. Yeah, keep it kind of clean and antiseptic because there's so much emotion in the story anyway mm-hmm. that removing her issues helped me, helped it sort of keep it as an even keel. And I will say, up until this point, specifically from the father and the kid, even later on, the hatred of or a hatred of Cardassians from or Cardassians, Cardassians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody, Caitlin. People make no Cardassian jokes all the time. We have to address it. Yes, we get it. Northwest. They even <laughs> hate him. No, no. Yeah, no one can hate Northwest. By the way, but um, yeah, no. The hate, the hatred of the Cardassians from the Bajor. I felt felt really real. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the show uses this idea that you were on the side of Ajor. Right. You know, people who watch the show are on the side of Ajor. So they don't have... I feel like they know that and they're playing with that. And I, I, 
I felt like that it, it got to the point where it was reasonably extreme, where everybody's like, hey, guys, the Cardassians aren't shit. Like, everybody chill out, you know? Yeah. And I felt like I, I emotionally was feeling that in the show. So I felt like that that was really sort of well handled. And it gave like a sort of a nice bedrock for everything that got built on. Yeah. And then when Cisco's like dealing with the like, hey, we have to do this. There's Avery Brooks when he's dealing with delicate issues. He talks in a soft voice. well i know this is what we have to do and like like, but you know it works it's like all right i'm on board it works because everybody else's business so like because there's so many scenes where like uh there was three or four scenes where bashir just marches in (laughs) and interrupts interrupts (laughs) yeah he's like what the fuck julian come on in the middle of official proceedings or meetings or or all of these things he just interrupts him and says can i i'm sorry can i take over this yeah yeah. like there's no reason and you can see that that he, he he looks annoyed but he's, he's a cool character he's just like yeah all right i'm i'm gonna be cool about this you better not do this again <laughs> yeah i'm a lot yeah everything about that was a great scene yeah i mean but the big thing is <laughs> this that- is the high point of my day just don't do it again <laughs> Don't do it again. So the, I guess the, the big point of this is that they take temporarily take the Cardassian kid, Kugel, Rugel, 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 I think Rugel. They take the kid away and give him to the only parent on the ship, apparently, which is Keiko. Well, the only other senior officer that's a parent because uh-huh. apparently, you know, we learned from one of the in the siege episode that one of the officer's child did a science project with a Bajoran kid. And that's. Oh yeah, that was that was super important to the integration yeah. of the whole ship. So you have that, and that moves along. But they do call back to that storyline later. But I'll save it. Okay. <laughs> so then the whole show takes a detour from all of this complicated shit, and they find time to take a detour to go into the apartment of the O'Briens so that they can have a guess who's coming to dinner. Yeah, O'Brien walks in. He's like, you let that Cardi play with our daughters? Like, chill out. (laughs) You let that Cardi Spoonhead play with our daughter? I'm all about an interracial couple having, like, one half of an interracial uh, couple had to be told to quit being racist. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just seems to be, I mean, listen, I know we don't live in a post-racial society, okay? And I know that, like, one thing doesn't equal the other thing. It just seemed weird that i guess he was so racist maybe that was a point yeah it didn't seem i mean yeah sure it didn't seem to weird i mean i liked it because yeah it's a post-racial they're over all this other stuff but he's he's still like a conservative irish dad in a lot of respects yeah i mean i guess that the idea is that somebody needs to be racist yeah yeah because somebody needs to learn so let's have the irish guy I don't know. O'Brien is always the everyman. Well, he's that stoic kind of like, oh, I don't talk, you know, and stuff. And when they're at the he dinner, he works with his hands. So the the working class, he's a blue co- guy who didn't get the education, has to be the racist. Well, well, he's also a vet from the Cardassian War. Yeah, the so the war. and you know, yeah, he's he's been in the shit. If you're gonna force a cast member of Deep Space Nine to be a Trump voter, like O'Brien has got the is demographically the guy that's gonna have to well, get forced. Well, like, let's not get crazy here. He's still evolved in most of his thinking and he later on when he's no, like no 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 yeah he's not and he feels bad about his racism towards the cardassians when he tried uh-huh. when he has to explain it and he can't yeah no i i you know which is a great scene like that whole scene but with them where they slow it down and just deal with his feelings towards the Cardassians and like the kids more mm-hmm. racist towards the Cardassians than he is. And he has but to yeah, play. he has to focus on like he says, like, boy, don't you don't you hate Cardassians, do? It forces him to have to, you know, hey, guy, you are. And it sort of unveils. It. I've disliked some. I've met some Cardassians I didn't like, but I've also met some I do like. Well, one anyway. Yeah, he was kind of like he was really careful with that. delivery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, no. And I think that like it convicted like, OK, I'm willing to just say that, like, no, he wasn't mistaken he's he's racist against cardassians it's come up several times in the show so far right and it's because he fought cardassians in the war and i'm sure grandpa said you know ever all of our grandpas said shit about japanese people like that you know yeah so, oh yeah, yeah. well my, my grandfather would except my grandfather was killed by them so oh yeah <laughs> oh, except for, okay. yes. shut down in the pacific yeah but. so i arrest my case <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. My grandfather fought in the Pacific and came back, and we went to a hibachi grill when I was 
when I was like 16 or 17 years old and he just got so upset. And this is a guy who I never saw get upset. And then on the ride home, he just talked about, he's like, you know, what those Japanese did to like our guys. Or And I'm like, oh my God. You know, I was completely didn't know how to react to that mm-hmm. at all. Because, yeah. you know, the guy has valid feelings, but let's, that that guy who was in there cutting up our onions on the body exactly. probably wasn't even Japanese. <laughs> you're right. not wrong. You're not wrong. But, but like, you're not. Like, yeah, like, like, no, I'm saying you, like, in your opinions of that, you're not, right. like, listening to him. You're not wrong in what you're being uncomfortable around what he's saying. Yeah. But, but you don't want to, like, tell it, you know, like, it's, a, it's very complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that they give O'Brien that instead he's not just like in the clan I and, mean, and yeah and the Cardassian situation is pretty complicated like the kid says they killed over 10 million Bajorans yeah less recently like two years ago they finished doing that stuff yeah like yeah. so it's still a pretty raw nerve it's, for the Bajorans yeah, understandably right. you know and no and I and I get that a kid that would be that and the I last also- iteration of the Apple TV it took like four years <laughs> to get a new New Apple TV. So, like, they're just dealing with... Which is fabulous, by the way. Yeah. I love the new Apple TV. But no, I I agree. I think that that is... But I think that there's a thing that we all place on race. Where I think that... You know, I'm from the South. I I know racists. (laughs) I think that if you have... If you force a racist to talk to... Like, if if, if you take just a traditional middle-aged, middle-class, white, American Southerner who's racist... And have him have a conversation with a black kid who's spouting all this anti-black shit. I think it would make the man uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think he'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I think they view that there are sides and it's something about it is dishonorable that you're not on your side. And then I think with O'Brien, he's like, you are a Cardassian, you know, you should be like, and he brings it up later. The kid hates Cardassians and he's, and when he brings it up later, it's uh, in the, weird custody hearing thing he's not bringing it up as that's awesome about the kid he's saying like that's weird the kid hates well he's saying the kid might not be really that happy to go back to Kardashian. he is but he's also saying you know and i think that i felt like he was saying it in a way that's like this is tedious and complicated i felt like he was saying it in a way like he's he's met this kid he's come to know this kid and he likes the kid and so he feels for him yeah Exactly. I, I said it was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and it is. You have this sort of kinship at the end where O'Brien feels like he's had a connection with the boy. And for the rest of the show, O'Brien sort of serves as the kid's third dad. He's in the custody hearing. like Right. But even he's sympathetic towards Kotan Co- Padar, <laughs> yes. his biological father. <laughs> yeah. Because later when the kid meets Whose his... name has two pronunciations, by the way. They call him Padar and Garrett calls him Pudar. Pudar. I, I noticed that too. I was like, oh, is that a jab? But or whatever yeah <laughs> garrett comes from the southern part of Cardassia. <laughs> is that right different dialect yeah he got a poodar yeah <laughs> it's a pecan and pecan he had poodar come over for the pecan pie <laughs> <laughs> so yes but that whole sequence in o'brien's house is great it's what i love about deep space nine yeah and i don't think they rushed it in a scene where a lot happens yeah. in an episode where a lot happens. They didn't really rush it. You have a nice three sequences. No, yeah. He, he tries to eat the Cardassian food. It's like, this is awful. And he pushes yeah. it. Like, that's when he first really actually bonds with the kid. It's like, he pushes it away. The kid pushes it away. And their glasses, their, mm-hmm. their dishes clink. And he's like, oh, see, this kid's all right. He thinks it's food shit. Yeah. <laughs> but what Keiko didn't tell him is it's really good with some authentic yamak sauce. <laughs> oh, right, right. But yeah, it's a great sequence. And then the conversation later when O'Brien is up late setting his fantasy league for next week <laughs> and the kid comes in. All right, and then he wakes up with a uh, dark-clothed Garrick looming over his bed. Yeah. Oh, yes, and then that scene. And then, Which, by the way, the outfit that Garrick wears through the whole second half of the episode looked like it was designed by 1974 Jack Kirby and I was in love with it. <laughs> yeah, that green little vest. Thing green with those weird piping things all Yeah, over. it's like his chest is shaped weird, because I guess because he's Kardashian. Yeah. But. So it goes along. They go on this little sojourn to this To an orphanage, orphanage in the middle of the night, which they're not really... He wakes him up. Bashir goes to Cisco and says, Hey, Dad, can I borrow the car, basically? Mm-hmm. And Cisco's in his nightgown <laughs> or his little kimono or whatever he sleeps in. It's like, what? Come on. You really think I'm going to give you? And then he gets a call from Gold Ducat. And then, well, Garrick must have known about this. And it's like, well, I guess you have to go now so we can get to the bottom of this. Yeah. So, all right, here are the keys. Yeah. Basically. 
It does seem like every time somebody wants to use a runabout, it's a big pain in the ass for Cisco. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I love that. And Cisco is such a, I love that his first response to everybody is sarcasm. And I felt like that that was unique, probably in 1993. Probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. That wasn't like a, at least a sci-fi, that wasn't like a standard in sci-fi, term. I mean, Bart Simpson yeah. was using sarcasm. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I don't think that it was a default for like educated adult men like it is no, now. No, especially for a commander or captain in Star Trek. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe Kirk was sarcastic so in sometimes. This way, it was sort of pre-Aaron Sorkin, where everything is sarcastic. Yeah, right. Like, I think, yeah, so they go to this orphanage sequence. And this whole sequence is kind of like a work of beauty in this show. I felt like it would have been the first thing that like, a hack producer, like, well, let, let's say Rick Berman, <laughs> would have cut from the episode. Where they get the file... But that's just a MacGuffin who nobody gives a shit about the file. But they go in and hack the computer. He's good with isolinear subprocessors. Oh, I dabble in them. Yes. And then Garrick, it turns out, has high level skills that he's trying to like. Right. Ah, I don't know how I get these. The orphanage lady is like, well, we don't have the records. And it's like, I wasn't working here at the time. She's like, I was in the underground. She says with a pointed look at Garrick. And he's just exactly. like, oh, that's wonderful. Perhaps we met before, which it's great because it leaves open questions like in battle or was he working with the underground? Uh-huh. Huh, we're going to let that slide. We're going to leave you questioning. Exactly. But. Everything about Garrick is open. There is almost no question answered in the sequence, but everything is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of laying pipe for better stories later. The one thing I did say about this whole sequence, Julian is like, Oh my God, we have to sort through so many files in the computer. <laughs> like, um, you people don't know how computers work. Yeah. You, we, we have to go through ton, like tens of thousands of files for a keyword search. It's like, yeah, that'll take two seconds. Yeah. I assume computers by Moore's law have actually sped up now. Yeah. You could do that in one button click, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like Moore's law. I don't think they knew Moore's law back in 90. 90- <laughs> the writers didn't. I mean, it was Windows 95 that was really. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't got there yet. Yeah. But um, so there's a sequence. So they get the file. No one gives a shit. So they run off. And right as they're leaving, five little Cardassian kids come out. Oh, yeah. This is the first time it kind of throws Garrick a little bit. Yeah. And led by a Cardassian girl, which I believe is the first time we've seen a female Cardassian. Maybe. In either show. And, and it's a little girl, and she just comes in, and she just, like, looks at and they're all kind of, like, looking, because they're not like the kid. I think in the Never That Next Generation episode where Card gets tortured, I think there's... Like a dead One of the guys has a daughter. Yeah, yeah, he has a daughter. Yes, yeah. yeah, you're right, she comes but, in. But, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the scene where... Yeah, oh, God, that's a great scene. Good, we made a joke about point. them being soft-shelled crabs yes. like Cardassians that you could eat. Good point, because that's a great scene. I don't want to forget that. But that's the first time since then. Yeah, and first DS9 girl. girl. We're, yeah. we're still waiting to see a full-grown Cardassian woman. We get reference to one later on. Yes, we do. So one walks out, and she's like, they're not like Ruble, Kugel. Oh, yeah, because Cardassian children. They want to go back to, yeah, they want to, they're like, take us to our people. Yeah, and then Garrick has to say, I, I'm sad about it, but orphans orphans have no standing in Cardassian society, so there's nothing to take them to, basically. And so he's uncomfortable that. Oh, yeah. Garrick's kind of weirded out. That scene had, I felt like a, like a stupid producer for a show would make that be the first scene cut, because it didn't really have a point. They don't really resolve the issue within the episode. They're still kids by the end. Spoiler alert. They're still kids by the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. And they ain't got no fucking where to go. Oh, but I like how they do and it. And nobody answers the question. Nobody has any political balls to make it happen. Yeah. Well, see, what it turns out is this was all just an orchestrated ploy. Yeah. I mean, we could talk. We, we should just crack that open for right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, because on the way back to the station, which they have to take a runabout to because you can't transport to Bajor because it's by the wormhole now. It's not by the planet. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, Julian stops the ship, the runabout, and says, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, we're going to stop. What the hell's going on here? And then this whole thing, it's a seduction slash education by Garrick of Julian. He's like, well, put the pieces together, basically. And he has to figure out that, oh, wait a minute, the civilian population. Well, that there's a war going on between the civilian leadership of Cardassia and the military right. leadership. Well, and that yeah. this is all just one big scheme. To knock out the leader. Right. When they're on the ship, he basically says, oh, who was the leader? Oh, it must have been Dukat. Yeah. Then Julian interrupts another meeting between Cisco and Dukat. Yes. And says, oh, let, let me grill you. And then Dukat is like, no, hey, I didn't want to pull out. And he's like, well, weren't you the leader? Doesn't the military overrank the civilians? And Dukat's like, who are you? Oh, you're the Dr. Dr. Bashir. 
who's been educating you on Cardassian social studies? And he's like, Garrick. He notices Garrick. Well, he's like, oh, you realize that they're not friends. Yeah, you should you should remind your friend Garrick. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he says. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love Ducat so much. I can't, he's really great. I don't, yeah. I don't Oh my god, I love everything about Dukat. And he's so like so manipulative, but you get all of this idea that this is really just about inter Cardassia politics. Right, right. And then you realize that they're enemies, so he's kind of been doing this to fuck with. Yeah. And to sort of sort of open the kimono here, Garrick stole a civilian's kid, burned his house, right? Dukat did. Yeah, yeah not Garrick. No, I'm sorry. I'm Go, sorry. Gukat yeah, no, I know. Did. I know. I'm Go- sorry. It's questionable. Down a civilian leader's house. That's implied, but yeah, they don't say it. I mean, it could have been Bajoran terrorists, and he got the kid beforehand. But you have to question. Maybe he did it himself and stole a kid. But you know, they don't say for certain. But he definitely got the kid before the wife was murdered. His wife, yeah, Mm -hmm. his wife. So now you're you're dealing with a man, Mr. Pudar. And by the way, who's played by the the actor who plays Pudar, whose name is Robert Mandan. <laughs> Robert Mandan was the lead. <laughs> Mandan. He was the lead in a show, a '70s show called Soap, which I loved. Oh, with Billy Crystal. With Billy and, Cri- uh, with Benson. Mona. With Mona, he played Mona's husband on the show. And then Benson, Robert Guillaume, played a character named Benson. Oh, right. Yeah, which was a spinoff of Soap yep, with Odo. Which was where Odo's right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but that guy was the lead in Soap, or one of the leads with the emptiness, Robert Mulligan. Oh, it's hard to tell with the makeup, because I feel like they cast guys that look similar to play old Kardashian. Yeah. Like Maritza from Duet looks kind of like yeah. like uh, whatever that actor was. And can we just great. say that like like when they do episodes this good, the Cardassians come off as a race of Shakespearean tragic men, and I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're very emotive. And oh yeah, because I mean they're fucking Nazis. They killed over ten million people, but. They're likable. Yeah, they're very complicated. They're so articulate and monologue-y. Yeah, like there's... Yeah, yeah. They really care about their families. They're racist and they could fuck every other species over, but they actually are, you know, they're a loving people for other Cardassians. They're kind of like... I feel like if I I had a a more anti-colonial sort of worldview, I, I would be a disabused of these feelings but i still feel like i have like a a, like a theater student and english majors love of british people yeah of classic british people and even when they're doing awful things in india or (laughs) or places or south africa like i feel like if you were to the anglophile and you can't hate them totally like that that you hate them but it's more like you hate them on paper but then they're so articulate you know about their abuse and rape of the indian people that you're just kind of like it seems like it's got a veneer of classical quaintness to it that i don't think that our own abuse of native americans have because we're just not as you know like i i feel like it's a, a bias in myself towards the british that i don't think is necessarily justified and probably the british don't have that but like i feel like that i have the like the show is instilling the same sort of thing in cardassians to me no because yeah. maritza and duet is so articulate and interesting and engaging and pudar and in Goldacott, and his villainy is so compelling in his villainy that you have to. I'm just in. Yeah. I'm just. I. I'm interested in you. Oh, it's yeah, really. Is, I don't yeah. like you. I don't. I. I don't think that you have a point. I don't. I'm not saying Cardassians did nothing wrong, but you. Yeah, it's really amazing that they can make space Nazis this relatable. Yes. Because <laughs> that yes. they're, they're like literally space Nazis. <laughs> like, like, yes, and, you know I'm. I don't sympathize with Nazis at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's get that straight, podcast universe. Yeah, no, no, no. And I, <laughs> I'm anti-Nazi, and I'm anti-Cardassian, but I like some of. And I'm anti-British colonialism too. <laughs> right, right. But I have, you know, I am still American. We founded, yeah, we, like, yeah, but like we founded attacking British <laughs> right. colonialism. But there's something just so compelling about it that it's it's flabbergasting to me. But I, I love it. I love it so much, and I can't. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, this was my point I was going to make because I got lost. It's the same. It's different writers writing. It. Yeah, it's Peter Allen Fields writing duet. It's whatever other you know, a different writer writing this episode. Yeah, and you were you said before we started that these guys didn't do anything else. Not much. The guys who pitched the episode literally have no other credits. Gene Willand was one of the guys who pitched the story, and he's an actor, mm. and he's a small actor. He was in RoboCop. Hey. So he's great, but he was <laughs> works for me. <laughs> he's great on a technicality. And then he 
pitched it with a partner who literally, this is his mm. only credit in IMDb. I've said that before, but this is literally his only credit. Wow. And then James Crocker wrote the teleplay who wrote some episodes of the new adventures of Superman. Okay. The Paul Dini cartoon. Oh, and some of the outer limits from the nineties. Of the remake. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, one of those guys, you know, yeah. you know, but not, not an in-house guy. I could deal with it if it was like Robert Allen Fields just wrote great Cardassians. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the way that, that Ronald D. Moore is really great with Klingons or something like that. Right, right. There had to be some writer's room stuff with this that didn't make it. Because yeah. this is tied in so well yes. to overall. Even when they're talking about later on and they're in the custody hearing when Julian comes in and has an Atticus Finch moment where he's like, <laughs> oh, well, I know this. Isn't there a ongoing investigation about the coup on Bajor that happened in the first three episodes uh-huh. because they're investigating Dukat. Like, Dukat has had this in his back pocket this whole time. Yes. Waiting to, when things start going for him, he's going to throw this out to get himself out of the public eye or whatever, because there's yeah. there's going to be an investigation into the Cardassian involvement with the Bajoran coup that was attempted at the beginning of the season. And to be honest, they don't connect all the dots. The The whole idea with the gambler, mm-hmm. crab-faced gambler, that's not explicit at all. Oh, they're like, well, we can't find the guy that gave us this information. He just disappeared. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah. So you're left to just connect the dots on your own, and it's not super hard. It's not like watching Inherent Vice or anything. <laughs> no. But like, it is like, <laughs> you know, it's not like dumb TV. It's... It, yeah, I feel like in a lot of Star Trek... Like Berman and other showrunners, and all, I don't trust the audience to do that stuff, but somehow this slipped through the cracks. So I feel like maybe they're already starting to work on Pitch and Voyager or something. So they're involved in this other place. Yeah. Their attention's diverted so that we can have this great DS9 stuff because, you know, they nowadays you would have that kind of detail where you have to figure it out now. But it goes back to our whole premise of this podcast is this is like a precursor to the golden age of television. Golden age of television. And I mean, you have some big, I, the hatred of having a kid self-hate his own race yeah. is, I think, a little bit more ahead of its time and incendiary than we give it credit for. Imagine if it was a, imagine if this was a NYPD blue episode and this was a black kid who was being raised by right or a white kid being raised by adopted black parents to hate white people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can you imagine how incendiary that would be as a, as an episode of television? Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's like some Sam Fuller movie shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can imagine it now where if they made it, if this was an episode being made today, I feel like the filmmakers would be free enough to make an episode where they go full transracialism. Yeah. Yeah. Where maybe the kid is wanting to act because they do this. They can have. Oh, they do that in Deep Space Nine where they racial reassign yeah, yeah. to so you look like, you know, when you're going to. Go into the Klingons and you or Cardassians and you they make you look like a Cardassian. You could have the kid be wanting to look like a Bajor. Yeah, they do that. And Cisco looks yeah. Cisco does he gets Klingon surgery at one it's point. It's a great Klingon. Yeah. yeah. Like and they always do it for these short term sort of benign things. Mm-hmm. But what if what if someone wanted to truly transition? What if the kid wanted to transition into being Bajor? Then the father comes in right. while the oh, surgery yeah, yeah. is big. You can do I mean, and I know this is a very modern sensibility that I'm sort of approaching to. It, but it could have went in those areas. Sure, sure. And I felt like the show was brave enough to go where it was going. Mm-hmm. And I give it so many points for that. I mean, this is this is interesting. This is why I love the show. And in to make my point in James's corner of Ira Bear is a hat, <laughs> he fought against this episode for that very reason. Really? What, what reason? He thought it was way he thought it was too controversial. Oh, because he was a self-hating Cardassian? <laughs> yeah, I think that he thought he thought that this episode was getting ahead of themselves. And I think that Now, Ira Bear is the one that is is in charge of all the Ferengi stuff, right? Yes. And he's eventually the full cuz Michael Pillar is running the show right now, but starting next season Ira Bear is the full showrunner for the rest of the show's history. But he also gets Ronald D. Moore and Robert Hewitt into his writer's room next season. Right. So he's the one saying, no, 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 no. We need... Goofier... We need, we need quark we need, episodes. If we're gonna if we're gonna talk about a race, we have to have a clear stereotype that we stick to, like I do with the Ferengi. Yeah, like yes, and I think that he is just—I don't know—and I—I mean, he just said that I fought against this episode, even though he knows everyone loves it. So he's brave enough to admit this. So he's not like a duplicitous asshole. That's cool. right. Yeah, so he's brave enough to. Admit. You're gonna go the full. He's a hack. I feel like I obligated to fight for him, but you know, I, I don't have. Yeah, to. no, no, that's fine, and that's fine. Oh, I will. I'm gonna play devil's advocate 
it, but I, I'm not there yet. Because if he fought up against this episode, I was like, man, come on. Yeah, and that he just thought that it was too, they were playing with fire. And maybe, you know. Yeah, you want to play with fire. Exactly. That's where greatness comes that's from. That's what makes the show, is you play with fire. Right. And I think that maybe that's just a. He wanted another move. He want, If you want the series to be move along home. <laughs> or babble, yes. then that's like death. You have to you have to do this to make it relevant. Yeah. Sometimes Star Trek would push too hard to be relevant at the wrong time, and I think we're both thinking of the post nine eleven enterprise, enterprise. Right? Yeah. I mean, that that, <laughs> yeah. that has some a certain distasteful quality to it that this this doesn't because that was reactionary, right? Yeah. This one's actually about ideas. It's not a reaction to something in time. Yeah. There's a story that Ira Stephen Bear has about writing. He wrote the Riza episode of TNT when Gene Roddenberry was still alive. Yeah, he told the story in um, Chaos on the Bridge. Chaos on the Bridge, where he was uh, Patrick Stewart wanted an episode where Patrick Stewart got laid or where, uh, where yeah Picard. Fuck, what is this? Picard got laid. <laughs> Who's this Patrick Stewart guy? And why is he getting laid on our space station? It's in the holodeck. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so he, Ira Bear goes to Gene Roddenberry and says that he has this idea for a planet where there's lots of hot sluts there or whatever. I don't know. And and Gene Roddenberry's like, why isn't it like a whole planet about all of this sort of non-barrier sex? You got gay dudes. You got female. You know, you got. That was Roddenberry's take? I was Roddenberry. I mean, because he was full. Sure, sure. No, that's off great. The reservation. Though, see that? That's, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's I'm going to make this point. I'm going to defend Roddenberry here. I think that that is a kernel of a great idea. Pushed. I mean, obviously, it's 1990, probably 1989 when this episode aired, so you can't have full gay stuff. But I think he's telling you to on the script stage push the goddamn boundaries, and then we'll TV it up later. Yeah, yeah. There was a controversial you know, like, early Star Trek episode that they cut where they were just going to have like an incidental gay couple in the background, and they're like, yeah. Nah. The, the, and that was the network's work. Yeah, also, he wrote an episode where a white guy kissed a black girl yeah, yeah. in 1967, and it was like the greatest thing ever. And then he made him wear dresses in the next generation. <laughs> I guess I'm just saying that I, I think Roddenberry was full bonkers crazy. Sure. But maybe he was a good kind of bonkers crazy where you take it back. To Rick, but Ira Bear was tells the story as like the man was unhinged, and I'm like, no, the man was kind of ahead of his time, and that was his selling point. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like a real writer would have noticed that. So, oh, so the whole thing was Ira Bear's like, whoa, 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 no, I was talking about hot chicks, and Ron Bear's like, everything. Yeah, no, this guy went crazy. Yeah, and he's using that as then Rick Berman told him, yeah, we don't have to listen to the old man anymore. Yeah, well, and that was when the kid's influence was slipping. And I right. just, think I mean, that's, that's wrong. The studios would have never let that happen, and they didn't let other similar things happen but you know what history's on his side runberry wins but if it was if it was extreme on the page you don't know what would have ultimately been on the screen mm-hmm. it could have been toned down extreme you know yeah yeah no yeah. much like what this episode was this episode was engaging and and sort of pushing the boundaries on this stuff and i think subtly and i think that that's why good tv can infect generations of people's minds because what sci-fi does is, yes, this show would have been unthinkable airing in 93 if it was white people and black people. Mm-hmm. But it's not mm-hmm. white people. It's spoonheads and wrinkled noses. It's so removed that they can do these storylines, but it still sits in your psyche. It still changes. Yeah, yeah. It still changes a generation's morality as they watch this. And then all of a sudden, you know, the black and white stuff changes too. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to talk about trans. Like now I'm just trying to think of the forefront. Transgender issues. Is sort of the forefront of where we are, like at this moment of social advancement and Muslims, probably, you know, Islamic people. You can't, it's too painful to do them directly. Right, like right. the way a South Park does, and I feel like you shut off too many years. Yeah. But uh, Deep Space Nine can get in under the radar and take you on a rares. And I feel like people on some, some sci fi writers get that. Ronald D. Moore and other people, and some people fight against it. <laughs> and I think that that's the, I said last season, I said at some point I would be able to fully justify my Ira Bear as a hack, and I feel like I'm on the right track here. <laughs> no, it's like, so, you got the kernel of something, and we're going to roll yeah. with yeah. yeah, Guys, do you think we should go on to what we would change? We're probably pretty light on that this week. I'm pretty light on that, yeah. We just wrap up the end. Uh, I think we covered most of it. Yeah. This whole thing was a ploy by Ducat to shame his political rival who called it in, basically. And then at the end, what I really liked at the end, Cisco was walking the Kotan or whatever, Kotex or whatever. Pudar. Pudar. Yeah, Kotan Pudar. Kotan Pudar. Hadar. Yeah, whatever. He's walking him <laughs> off. Okay, well, hey, because the guy is actually 
wants to do the right thing. He's another Cardassian mm-hmm. that is not a totally bad guy. Yeah, he's a civilian leadership, which is the people that ultimately ended the genocide. I mean, right, right. And he's willing to end his political career to get his son back. Yes. You know, but when they reveal that Dukat's a dick and this whole thing was his ploy to get out of uh, the investigation or whatever, when Bashir's like, oh, who was the commander of Tarek Noir that sent this woman, a Cardassian woman, to drop this kid off at the orphanage? And then, man, just Dukat is so good in that scene. When he realizes he's he's caught, he's like, he's, he's got this, like, it's like, yeah, he's the best. Disdain. He's like, this look on his face, and he just stops talking. And go, who was the commander there? And he's just like, <laughs> no, nah, and he just walks out. And I was like, oh, it's a great performance. And then Cisco's walking. And then Cisco, mm-hmm. I don't know, arguably makes the wrong choice or the right choice. It's, it's a hard choice to make. He gives the kid back to the Cardassians, even though the kid has a loving Bajoran father. I think it's the right, it's the right choice choice for the narrative because it's it's also the right choice i mean but the kid has a dad that he knows that loves him that doesn't mis- mistreat him that was just a plant by Ducat, conceivably yeah and i think that they need to work out some sort of open relationship kind of deal like a, not a shared right. custody. and you know, o'brien's like you can anytime you want to come back you call me and uh, we'll come but I, I think that the biggest okay I want to talk about this, but I want to talk about this another thing that I would All right, change. Well, why don't you hit episode. it? Okay, yeah. well then, I'll just get through it. Well, okay. And then the one thing, Cisco's walking the guy out to take the kid away. He's, okay, well, we did you a favor here. Perhaps you can help us out to get these Cardassian <laughs> yeah, we'll orphans yeah. that want to go back to Cardassia. And the guy totally pusses out. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, a, oh, he did, sure, yeah, It's okay. like, oh, that, yes, okay, maybe. And you know he's not going to do anything. And that same way that a job interviewer tells you, yeah, no, 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 we'll call you. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, <laughs> Yeah, anybody just walks out feeling like such an asshole because he knows he's not going to do anything, and they're like, oh. They're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. And then they have the Julian Bashir scene where they just totally leave it open, where Julian Bashir and Garrick scene where he's, so what? what is your deal anyway? How do you know Dupont? What's your relationship with him? And he he gets the, I never tell the truth because I don't believe in it. And it's a total J.J. Abrams would love this episode <laughs> because there's all these mystery box questions for you. Yeah, no, it's an open, yeah, and I love that. And the one thing that I will say about it is that you do, by the end of the seven seasons of the show, have a fairly clear understanding of Garrick's history. Yeah. But it is so long and winding and getting there that it's, that it's, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. It's compelling and rewarding, both, you know, so since we live in a time where it it seems like you can pick one or the other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. but it's both. Yeah, totally. But okay, so we've gotten through the plot. What would you fix, James? Okay, there's it's a very sort of subtle writer's thing that I would do throughout the episode. But I think that I made an assumption that the kids that were being abandoned, the war abandoned, I guess I just assumed that all of the leadership during the occupation were there, like it was just male soldiers sort of stationed there. And so any Cardassian children may have been had with comfort women mm. and were sort of like bastards. Uh-huh. And I felt that, and I, I, I don't know where I got Well, because from. we've had comfort, like, we've we've seen that aspect before that happened. Yeah. We've established that Cardassians, like, when Kira rescues the yes. war hero at the beginning of the season, she's like, hubba hubba, you like Bajoran women, and the guard is yeah. like, hey, I like Bajoran. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, like, a comfort women kind of thing going on. Yeah. I don't know if they can breed or not. Yeah, I don't know that either. But I just assume that maybe, like, they weren't legitimate. Yeah. They weren't in the families of Cardassians. So that was probably why they were left, was because they were bastards. Why else would you leave kids there? I just took it as Cardassians are so family-oriented. We get that in this episode yeah. even pudar says do you know what cardassian family values are like i don't know about you humans but sometimes we have up to four generations eating at the same dinner table yeah so like cardassian soldiers would take their families with them they would not then why would they abandon kids if they weren't and then they died and their their parents are dead that's yeah. what it is they died because there's like bajoran terrorists yeah yeah so one other thing that they say is that there was lots of women in the orphanage and that was the only time they ever brought over a, a male oh yeah yeah when rubles brought over, and so I assume that there's like a Chinese abandoning of the Maybe, yeah, yeah. of the females because they because they prize the males, and I felt like that was like the, why would you have that line about that distinction if you? Yeah, yeah. But I think I just kind of felt that there was bastards there, and that if if Pudar was implicated as having a kid there, that he would be a bastard and embarrassing because of that. I think the embarrassing thing is that he left because they value family so much that he left his child behind as a disgrace as a Cardassian. He left his kid without him because. They value families 
so the fact that he left his kid there is unforgivable in Cardassian society because they value family so much. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All of that's right. But I think that I felt that there was like this subtext about these kids having being like sort of off limits. And I kind of liked that. Yeah, yeah. And so when they started talking about the parentage of him and does Pudar get the kid back, I, I guess I thought that he was an abandoned bastard. And then so then I think that if you're talking about an abandoned bastard, then the Bajoran father has total claim. But this was a guy, this was a kid who was kidnapped, whose family family was murdered. Right. There's clearly not a bastard because he's telling the kid, I took the loss of your mother so hard, basically. Yeah. And I thought you were gone. And it's like, he's, he would have been a good father. Probably. Yeah. So he was kidnapped and the evidence was probably manufactured to show him as being murdered and all of those sort of issues. So it makes me think. That, that changes that, then no, he definitely... He was wronged. It's not like he abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, he was wronged. He wasn't like he was abandoned. And so that sucks for the Bajoran father a lot. Right. It's a hard decision. Yeah, but... But, I mean, and it's, it's bad on that. I mean, and Cisco knows that. But the father did not abdicate fatherhood in any way. Right, exactly. So, yeah, no, yeah. he definitely deserves the kid back. God, it's such a... I would have liked to have seen that at least a little bit, sort of... Because if they don't debate over the nature of the kid, of why he was abandoned, then what is the real... Like, it seems like a no-brainer for Cisco. Yeah. Well, the, just the, the issue is the kid's old enough to maybe make his own decisions. Yeah. But he's not, and it's a hard decision that Cisco has to make, and he might even regret it, but it's like, yeah. not exact, it's not wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like there needs to be, if Cisco wanted to add an amendment or an addendum to it, where he's got, you know, or the Bajoran father has to have some, get some visitation rights or some sort of... Yeah, they should have. And then O'Brien kind of covers that, says, hey, if you ever want to come back and visit, you give me the word and we'll make it happen. <laughs> O'Brien's trying to squeeze in like visitation rights, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I... I just real quickly wanted to say that my the one thing I wanted to change is a little bit in the Wade territory because I didn't have a whole lot wrong with the actual episode. I really didn't like the title of the episode. <laughs> I thought it was like that's yeah, this, it deals with Cardassians, but it doesn't tell what's it yeah. Saying? This whole series could be called instead of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Star Trek Cardassians. I mean, so I thought it was kind of a lazy, lazy title, and it really doesn't clue you in on any insight on what they're trying to say or do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I think even if you just left it not even plural, just call it Cardassian, because it's about what it means to be Cardassian or something. And that'd actually be better. And mm -hmm. it's only one Cardassian in particular we're talking about with. Rugal or whatever his name is. Yeah. Or orphans or there's a yeah, number yeah, of yeah, things yeah. that's gonna be like all orphans would be good. Yeah. I mean I don't have a whole lot because when I was think trying to think about what I would fix at one point I was like, you know what? There's actually there's not really any women in this episode. Jadzia doesn't even show up. Mm -hmm. Right. And then so when I saw that I was like, Oh, they should have brought Kira in since she's the but then I thought about it and like, you know what? Actually I like the only women in this are the orphanage ladies and they're mainly absent, which almost thematically, if it's, it was a choice, is interesting. Like the only women the mother is dead. Mm -hmm. The woman they make a point of pointing out that it's a woman that dropped him off at the orphanage that was that worked on Tarek Noir with the military that Ducat obviously sent. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm okay with just being all about fatherhood, Fa fathers and sons. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. And then there's Keiko, and she's she's good in it too. Yeah, yeah. Everybody likes to shit on Keiko. I feel like, but she had a good. She was like <laughs> she, a moral center of that family and everything. She's trying mm -hmm. to do the right thing. So yeah, I don't. I'm, no, I I'm, I'm done. I just want to just briefly, as his tail end, just shout out how great Mark Iamo, the actor who plays Goldicott, Goldicott yeah, how great yeah. his neck is. Oh yeah, I read like, his that, acting he, is great, but his neck is just the best. He's got the most. Uh, yeah, like of because they usually have those similar shaped Cardassian guys to play old men Cardassians, but then uh -huh. Ducat has the most beautiful lizard-like Cardassian neck out of all. Of it's it's the greatest anatomical feature in all of Star Trek. It is. Yeah. It is so long and lean, and it's almost unprobable yeah. and, like and later on there's scenes there's times where you see him in less or no Cardassian makeup through clever means of the show oh right and right. you just get to see Mark Iamo Lamo yeah Lamo or Iamo I heard it somewhere today I forgot I don't know but you get to see his natural f yeah and it's so great yeah he's it great. looks more natural on him but when they put him in the Cardassian makeup it looks so I don't know he's the only person that really 
really looks like just not a man in a like a goofy suit. Yeah, yeah. He really like that's great. They're all wearing basically furniture upholstery. <laughs> That's the complaint that they all have about the Cardassian outfits. I feel like I've heard Andrew Robinson complain about it. It's like, you're basically wearing a couch when you're in the makeup and it gets hot and sweaty. Do you guys want to guess on the score for IMDb on this real quick? And then we'll, we'll shut this thing down. 7.2. I'm going to recuse myself because I saw it oh. accidentally. I wasn't trying to look, I promise. Well, what is it? It's 7.4. Oh. Uh, there's 562 vo- votes, and you're right. Yeah, you're getting a good feel for this, Wade. It is 7.4. Yeah. It's a pretty, I mean, it's this is a solid episode. I actually think it's better than 7.4. This is a pretty great episode. I, I, I do. I think I'd give this one like an 8, really. Yeah. This one's strong as hell. This is near duet. Yeah, totally. I, be- I agree. Yeah. And it's just so many more moving pieces than duet. It's almost a little bit more impressive in some ways. Yeah. I agree. I mean, duets a two it's a duet. Yeah, it this had more opportunities to fall apart, mm-hmm. and it never did. Yeah, this was a great. Yeah, we went a little bit long today. I think. Yeah. Right All right. Well. Yeah. Three to beam out. Sweet. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, I think it was a pretty good episode. We're really hitting at this part of the series, really hitting like a stride where we've had a couple of good episodes back to back. And your hosts are pretty enthusiastic about them. Um, this episode really didn't have a whole lot of background information. However, James wanting to uh, call Ira Stephen Bear a hack uh, does merit some examination. And I think the first thing I would like to call and uh, to exhibit A was this quote. From the Deep Space Nine logbook, uh, a first season companion, Iris Stephen Bear is quoted as saying, quote, I didn't have a lot of faith in this show at first. It was such an issue-orientated show that I thought it would oversimplify a complicated issue. But what got me into the show was when I realized this was not only a chance to bring back Garrick, but to do this whole weird little number with what's going on between him and Ducat. To me, that nailed the character, and I knew after that happened that we were going to see a lot of Andy Robinson, who's become quite a popular on staff, end quote. So, I don't know. He, he seems hesitant to want to do anything interesting. His instincts are all over the place with the show. I think Iris Stephen Bear probably would have been pretty happy if this was a yuck yuck show with a lot of Ferengi episodes and uh, send ups of old movies and introduce a bunch of characters that uh, really have no point other than they amuse Iris Stephen Bear. Oh, wait, all that stuff happens toward the end of the series. So here we are in our rewatch, and uh, in season two, already these. We're starting to sour on Iris Stephen Bear collectively a little bit in the show, and and we certainly did in this episode. Andrew Robinson had a quote that was interesting from the official Star Trek Deep Space Nine magazine, issue nine. He said, quote, The best thing about that scene where Garrick and Bashir go to Bajor and run into the orphans. We learned a little more about their culture, that children without parents have no status in Cardassian society. So they just abandoned them. The fact that Garrick was faced with this and realized that this is something very basically wrong about it was great. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty cool that this is the second appearance of, of a character and they're able to show some growth with the character <laughs> and uh, examine his culture. It, you know, Garrick is such a great character. They should have figured out a way. Like, they can't... They had such a hard time... With their core casts, and then they had this great set of secondary characters that were in a distant orbit around the rest of the show, like Ducat and Garrick. I mean, of course, they were shady bad guys, but when you look and talk to anybody about Deep Space Nine, what they like about the show is how it's not a black and white show, how it everything's in shades of gray, and what's more gray than literally the Cardassians, but also in, in their behavior and uh, moral code, I guess. Anyway, 
another interesting tidbit is uh, this episode that we recorded was, I think, the summer of 2016. And James calls his shot with talking about the Brian Fuller Star Trek. I think at that point, it was we were just calling it Brian Fuller Star Trek because it had been announced that he was going to come up with like the first new show in a long time. And we were all familiar to a certain degree, you know, with his body of work. And uh, James accurately said that he would include more people on the sexual spectrum. <laughs> I don't know, like, what's what's a better way of saying that? But, like, he knew it wasn't just going to be cis, straight people. And he called it in this episode, and he was right. We have a gay couple... And Star Trek Discovery, and I think, you know, one of them does get fridged, sort of, but then sort of not. It was we- That was weird because they had a note saying it was okay, and eventually they brought Culber back, Dr. Culber back. Anyway, Discovery may be the most hotly debated Trek now i don't know is it i think is there anything more polarizing than star trek discovery within the people who like star trek that's an interesting question that just dawned on me i i think it is i think people for the most like like picard they are looking forward to the new anson mount pike spinoff they're probably fine with the lower decks cartoon and I think that the short treks are forgettable enough that they don't really offend it. Like, they're beneath everybody's notice. But out of all Trek, this Star Trek Discovery seems to be the most, I don't know, if, I don't know, hotly debated show. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Well, James called the shot. Good job, James. You got to give props to that guy. Uh... That's all I've got for this week. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you come back next week as myself or one of the other two will be looking back on another episode of the Rules of Acquisition. So for the Kickers of Elves, one to be out. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Cardassian scene really gross to me but also, kind of sexy. I'm not sure I would fuck one per se. Let's just say that I am interested in what they have under those goofy plastic chest shells. Hopefully goofy plastic underwear, maybe sexy ass crabular gray vaginas. Whoa. I am really speaking my little robot brain right now. I am saying a lot of things. Never mind. <laughs>